Selling is a willing buyer, willing seller. That's what selling is. Selling isn't the valuation that you have and someone's going to pay you that money. It's there's got to be someone or an entity out there that is has a desire to buy you and you have the have the desire to sell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ecom Growth Show. Do I say hi now or do I wait? I'm pretty much brain fried at this point. Let's go. I just wanted to welcome to the stage Adam Rundle. And like I said before, guys, he is uh He's ran our finances here at Shopanova, and he's been working with e-commerce brands, basically preparing them uh, for some type of acquisition or selling of their business. And it's just a really cool process where he has the ability to um, to go in and really help them prepare their their books and and come up with an internal valuation, so they know how to show up to that table with a, a proper negotiation. They have the, the ability to have the information to get the price that, that they deserve for their store. Um, so Adam, I think a lot of people, they would just, I, I think a lot of people here probably wonder, uh, probably haven't even considered the, the thought of like selling their store. I think us as business owners, we spend so much time in the grind, you know, getting the customers, building out all the backend logistics that you don't even really realize you've built a sellable asset. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in working with some of these brands and kind of, at least from your perspective, what that process looks like. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. And yeah, thanks for having me, everyone. I uh, really appreciate it. It's uh, fun to be talking about this. It's something I'm passionate about. Um, yeah, I would I would probably reiterate just what Robbie said. It's not something that we often think about. And it's actually not something that even us at Clever Profits have historically thought a ton about. I mean, I think when we were working together more, Robbie, and 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 with you know all of our clients historically, our viewpoints and our kind of you know, angle has always been this profitability angle. You know, we the, the drum that we kind of march to is profitability, profitability, you know, operational efficiency, you know, understand how to, you know, make as much money as you can, what you're doing. And I, I still think that that's a great way to look at your business. It is just one way to look at your business. It's the one lens to look at what's happening every single moment, every single day. And then we got exposed to our clients coming and saying, okay, you know, they're getting approached by people who want to buy them. And then we got involved in this world and we ended up finding some really highly talented people to bring on to our acquisitions team. And all of a sudden we started looking at the same business that we've been looking at for years. You just look at it like completely differently. Yeah. And then your perspective like just changes around like, okay, what is like actually happening here? Is this as good as we thought it was? Or actually is it better than we thought it was? Um, and to be honest, for me personally, I just found that process alone just really cool and fun of like, oh, I've looked at this this business in this way for so long. And now I've got someone else telling me and using a whole new lens to look at it. Like what a cool thing to do. And I think where I've grown personally and, and where we've probably grown as a business is we've realized that that different perspective helps us actually be better at what we do. Even if what are we doing is just profitability, even if our, our angle with the client is kind of CFO, day-to-day operational profitability, having this perspective has helped us be better at that. And then and vice versa, you know, it's like, I think having that perspective has helped us be better at helping people kind of exit. So that's been a fun journey. And so what I would say to anyone listening to this, I don't think my angle certainly isn't like you should be thinking of selling. And if you're not, not at all. But 
it would probably do you the world of good to just look at your business in this angle because mm-hmm. it's probably going to help you make, even if you're not interested in selling and even if that's not something you want to do for the next little while, it's probably just going to broaden your understanding of your business, broaden the scope, help you make sense of some things and probably help you make better decisions because that's what broadening the scope of most things does. It just gives us better perspective to make better decisions. And I'll never forget um, when I, you know, I'm very involved in sports coaching. I, I coach rugby and I love sport. And I, I learned this a while ago that if you're learning, like, let's say like I'm, I coach rugby. So you're learning how to tackle, you're learning how to tackle someone or anyone uh, knows like American football. And one of the skills to tackling is like where you move your feet. And so I was thinking about this actually yesterday because that rugby breakfast, but there was a guy who was struggling to get his feet in the right place to tackle. And one of the things I learned long ago was like, sometimes what you got to do is just instead of creating a whole bunch of drills to get his feet in the right place, create a bunch, sometimes you got to create drills that assumes his feet are in the right place. That is like the next level. So it's actually harder for him. Like you're assuming he's at the next level because by doing so you enable him or her, whoever you're coaching to actually learn the skill of stepping into the right place without the pressure of the drill being around that. And I thought like, that's actually very similar to this view is like, we spend all this time focusing on one by just changing the focus. I think we can improve this one. Like, I think we can improve how we operate our businesses by this different perspective. And I was just, when I was doing it yesterday, I was like, Oh, that's quite, I felt like that was quite aligned to what I was going to talk about today. So that's my encouragement to everyone is just, be open-minded to, to what it looks like and you could, yeah. you'll learn something. Yeah. And just in general too, I would say that was like one of the biggest benefits of, of working with you initially was just having the financial perspective that would allow us to make good decisions. And I think a lot of people here, they're at least um, in this group, probably because uh, they have some affinity or level of interest with advertising. And so there's so many things going on right now with, with attribution and it's just hard to figure out exactly what your marketing return is, uh, at least directly from Facebook. And the only way to really get a full understanding of that is to look at it through the lens of like your, your overall P and L and just the amount of this, the quality of decision-making you can have when you understand your finances, uh, the percentage of your marketing as a, as a total of the overall sales it's just so helpful, but um, I do want to stay narrowed down into the conversation of like, you know, s- selling a store. That's a, that's a whole nother can of worms. Uh, but I was just going to ask you, when do you, I, I, you kind of answered it already. Like it's always a helpful perspective to have, but when do you think somebody should really be getting serious or when is it even viable to, to sell an e-commerce store? And again, there's probably a lot of factors at play, but at least from your perspective, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there's maybe a time. I don't think there's like a, oh, when you reach X size or whatever it is, you should sell. I mean, I've said this to a lot of people, and this is true, is selling is a willing buyer, willing seller. That's what selling is. Selling isn't the valuation that you have and someone's going to pay you that money. It's there's got to be someone or an entity out there that is, has a desire to buy you and you have the, have the desire to sell. So that transaction is is so subjective. I mean, you know, you could be tiny, but be very appealing to some other store because of some unique aspect you have, or you could be huge and you're appealing in different different ways. But what I what I would say though is what we found is that if if this is something that you want to do and you have had have any thought of selling, 
you probably want to give yourself more than 18 months to do it. Gotcha. And the reason for that is it's very rare to find a business and it doesn't really matter the industry. It's very rare to find a small business because, you know, we work with small businesses. We're not working with, you know, 100 plus employee kind of businesses. Most businesses are probably less than 70 employees and less than $40 million a year. Like that's like pretty, you know, maybe big in some senses, but it's not a massive business. There's very few of them are, are actually in a position to sell from a place of strength. Mm. And the reason for that is, is just because there are the factors that I play that are very important to someone wanting to buy things around leadership, things about your team structure, um, organizational pieces, like risk factors. There are things that you would be, if you had to try and sell within two, three months, you, you would, you, the likelihood is the price would be so, so heavily discounted that it may not be worth it because of those issues. And what we find is to, to build those, that base you normally need more than at least more than 12 months. And what we're seeing is like 18, 24 months is kind of ideal because what someone's going to come in and, you know, we're, we don't, uh, unfortunately, and if someone is in the SaaS space, yeah, you know, well done, but we don't, we're not in the SaaS world. And the SaaS world is so different. Like yeah. we all have heard the SaaS acquisition stories. Like, oh, this guy got a 15 multiple on something. And it's like all these memes that are in the SaaS world that like the new, the new acquisition, the SaaS world is actually don't make any money. Like have zero revenue and just have a cool product and you'll make billions. Like <laughs> it actually kind of happens in the SaaS world. And we've got a SaaS client that we're working with right now. And, it, and we laugh, but it's like, it's weird. The way it happens is weird. Most businesses aren't like that. Like they're very rooted in profitability, actual metrics. Like what is discounted cash flow? What is like, what is that world? So to, to get that to be in a good position, you need time most people want 12 months of financial data that's like solid not just one month they want like 12 months so there's already a hurdle of like hey if i'm not where i want to be i've i just need i need to get there and then build 12 months of sustainability and then i've got to work on my team i've got to work on leadership structures i've got to work on infrastructure that just takes time so to answer your question is where i think this is important for people to think about is that the 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 lead the time is so big mm-hmm. that if the opportunity arises itself next month, you're probably not going to be in a good position to pull the trigger. If the, if the opportunity arises itself in eight months' time, you may not even be in a good position to pull the trigger then. But if you a little bit more cognizance of it right now and you can and just be aware of it and even do little things, you would be in a better position should the opportunity arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And what is that? Uh, obviously you have some, some really cool stories of how that unfolded for certain people. I want to get into that. Uh, but just like in a nutshell, what are some of the things you're looking for? Um, mm-hmm. And what are you kind of building towards once that is maybe a decision, or even if it's just like a perspective you want to have, like kind of in your back pocket, like I know my, my company's worth this. Should I ever uh, choose to change gears or shift directions in my career, basically? <laughs> yeah, I think there's two, there's two buckets. So if 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 selling is like hot on the mind, I want to do it. Like I, I want to get involved pretty urgently. The base point of that is your valuation. Mm-hmm. So well, you run a valuation of your company, probably using you know discounted cash flow model or some kind of a market you know multiple approach. You know taking profitability by whatever a reasonable multiple is based on your industry or discounted cash flow model, and you'll you'll get a valuation, and that's the bedrock. 
of the valuation to then go, okay, is this, do I want to take this valuation to market? Like, do I want to build an investor memorandum around this and take it to potential buyers or private equity funds or VC funds or whoever it is and present it to them and say, hey, I'm, you know, here's my, here's my marketing package for you to come and buy my product, my business. Or you're in this phase of like, okay, I want, I don't know when that's going to be, but I want to be more more prudent in how I'm making decisions. I want to build a better business so that I'm more prepared for that should that happen. And that is then less focused on the valuation itself. And it's more focused on the some of the reports that we generate from the valuation, like a performance report or a risk report that says, okay, listen, the value is X, but this is why it's X. Here are the five reasons of why it's down. Here are the five reasons why it's up. Here are the things that people are going to discount. Here are the things that are a problem, which is essentially saying like, you go work on those and we should see a value increase and better prepared to actually create that investor memorandum and get it out there. And to and so so if if any you could be in either one of those places, we run all the same reports wherever you are. But you know, if you're if you're trying to get to market pretty quickly, we're very heavy on valuation and, and investor memorandum. If you're not, we're like, hey, we got those things, probably not as important right now. These reports are a lot more valuable for us to build action plans. Totally. That makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Um, maybe just like take us through again. I love, I love the story. You, you just gave me like the two second version of kind of this person's experience. I think they were heading into, uh, into like a real negotiation for their business and uh, discovered some information like shortly before the call and ended up being a pretty. Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun one. It was actually one of, one of our, <clears throat> one of our earlier clients who has been a client for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they 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 got approached by someone saying, hey, we'd like to buy you or, or we'd like to open up this conversation to buy you. They signed a letter of intent and they kind of opened up this, this conversation. And they came to us and said, hey, you know, we would like some help here. So we went in, we, we call it Evo is what we call it, exit value optimizers, like our process. It's like our mechanism of building, you know, valuations, reports, investment memorandums, all the tax plans, like all the stuff we're talking about. So we went in and we did it and it spat out like, like I think it was like 9,2 million or something. I can't remember the exact number. It's what, it's what we realized is the value of the business. Like that's kind of the range that they want to be in. And we never shared it with the buyers. We shared the information they asked for, like we were under NDA, so financials, you know, you know, org charts, you know, little snippets of like them trying to get you to understand the business. We shared all that. And about it's funny because one part of our acquisitions team is in South Africa. I'm South African, yet live in America. And one part we've got an American part of our acquisitions team and a South African part. And the call was at um, 9 a.m. Eastern time, and at 7 a.m. Eastern time, they sent a a proposal like like their like starting negotiation on like this is what we want to buy the business for, and it was it was like four million. They sent it through with like their description of why. And they clearly did it because they knew there was going to be very little prep time. And then they were going to come down to the conversation and like kind of hash it out. Meanwhile, we've got <laughs> two pretty clever guys sitting in South Africa who've now got this and got, okay, we've got two hours, like, let's go. So they like ripped the thing apart in an ugly way. They just they went to each point and they drew the parallel to what we have done in our reports. And they pulled the reports and like put it where they've discussed that and where it's got to arrive at this meeting, present this, 
clearly the guy, the guy, the guys trying to buy were like pretty flabbergasted. Like, how did they do this this quickly? Meanwhile, didn't know that these guys are sitting in South Africa, and we actually had all these reports. And then the conversation goes like an hour and forty five minutes, like back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. And they we they leave the meeting with eight million dollars on the table. And it was just like it was so fun to like to watch it actually play out in real time of like the work that's being done was useful. Like we we could use it to show, and we didn't get to quite nine point two, and ended up not going through with the deal. But we were all pretty confident. Like if we arrived at that meeting without doing that, mm-hmm. the likelihood of getting to eight would have been pretty hard because we would have been it would have been a battle. We were like fighting against them, trying to trying to discount their points. And we wouldn't have had great, you know, great insight to discount their points. Um, and so we maybe got to five or six million and just realizing like the value of just being prepared, like by having the reports, knowing what are the risk factors, knowing what they're going to say, mm-hmm. just allowed us to have a way more meaningful negotiation that was just, you know, impactful for the client because they weren't put in a box of like, oh, well, I'm only going to get six or five million for, for this thing. Mm-hmm. Dude, so I know people like you probably hate questions like this because everything is uh, specific to the business you're working with and their finances and their back-end structure. Like all of that plays a role in the valuation of a company. But um, just curious, you, you mentioned like maybe there's a common multiple of profitability. So for example, if you turn this amount of profit per year, uh, in general, you could be getting at least this much of a multiple for your business, what would you, can we say that, can we get a ballpark figure on that for people to be able yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, I could, I'll, I'll give you, there's nothing I'm going to say here can ever be like cast in stone because it depends on the industry you're in. But if, you, if you're in, um, in the e-commerce space, you're probably looking at like five to eight is like a pretty reasonable multiple wow. that, you could, that you could get on, on EBITDA, so on profitability. Um, there's no inherent reason why you can't. If you can't get that, like if and every single e-commerce space is going to be different. Every single market is going to be different. If you're in a highly saturated market, it may be lower. If you're a less saturated market, it may be higher. It's also going to be lower depending on the potential how many buyers there are. There may be very few buyers that are interested. There may be a lot of buyers that are interested. You could be a, an incredible roll-up opportunity for someone else, or you know whatever that is. But anywhere in there is pretty reasonable. Um, not out of the world of possibility. Um, to be much higher than I would have thought. Yeah, to, to be much more than eight is very hard. I, I think, you know, the, the in- industries where you're getting more than eight are like uh, the SaaS world is, you know, starting to play in that space. And there's other industries that can do that. The industries that are lower, like we're an, we're an accounting firm. I mean, we're very low. We're like three and a half. Mm-hmm. We're like three and a half to like four is like our kind of number that you could probably get for a business like ours. But it's different. Ours is very labor heavy and pieces like that. So there's a lot of factors that come in to play in that. But if you if you calculate EBITDA, like your, your net profit for a year, and you be conservative and multiply it by five, like I would say you, you could be like, that could be a benchmark. If you say like, this is roughly north or south, maybe 20% of where I'm probably going to land if I had to do evaluation. That makes sense. Hey, am I coming the biggest, the big, And the biggest thing that we find, yeah, my internet's just lagging a little bit. Sorry about that. Uh, go ahead. What's what's the biggest thing you guys find? <laughs> and so the biggest thing we find, and this is this is an interesting point. This is a good point to talk about. 
is, um, and this is without doubts, like literally without a doubt, where the two worlds for us have met most tangibly. So the world of, hey, let's focus on profitability and be a profitable business. And then let's think about selling our business. And they, you know, I've, I've often said to people, there's, there's no reason why you should actually think differently about them. Because if you're running a highly profitable, efficient business, that in itself is appealing to a buyer. Like you are showing that this business is appealing to buy. So you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to like do a 180 and now think completely differently about my business. But there are different, there are different avenues you need to be thinking about if you're going to sell. Where I feel like they collide the most and where the selling world has reaffirmed a lot of my view on the, on the profitability world. And, and, and Robbie, you'll know this because this is something I've spoken to you guys about many, many times, or at least used to speak to about many times. The way an owner earns money is by far and away the biggest item in their financial conversation with the selling world that is discussed by far and away. The reason why is it's subjective. You know, it's very hard to compete with cost of goods sold. It's very hard to compete with how much you buy your product for. Like you buy it for what you buy it for. Like you've got receipts, you've got proof. Like I buy it for X, I sell it for Y, or I manufacture it for X and I sell it for Y. Marketing is pretty straightforward. A lot of a lot of labor costs, a lot of overheads are pretty straightforward. They are what they are. When a business owner is involved, there's a lot of gray in how you are actually calculating how much the business owner is earning. And the, a lot of the gray stems from taxes. We do things that are, we, we make decisions based on how we're going to be tax effect, effective. Mm-hmm. Like if you're an S corp and you have a reasonable salary of 40 grand to be tax effective, like that's a very, it's an unrealistic number to add into your profitability model. Where it may be great to do so and your, your pre tax profits high and you get a good valuation, it's probably the single first, the, the, sing, the first thing that anyone in a, in a sale is going to question. Like, hey, we want to know what, what SDE is, like seller discretionary earnings. We want to know how the business owner earns money and how that affects the profitability of the business. Are there things that are running through the PL that are owner related? What's their salary? What's their job function? What are they doing? Because you're thinking about it, there, someone coming to buy. And if they need to buy and replace you and you've told them that you cost 40 grand a year and in actuality you are, you're worth 150 or $200,000 a year based on your role and function, that fundamentally changes totally. how the business works. And it's the point, and, I've, and I've, I've, you should know this, like I reiterate this a lot to people, is like you've got to be very careful on how you factor in your, how you pay yourself because it changes the metrics of your business forget about selling just profit it changes the metrics so much in a business i cannot tell you how many people i talk to go like oh i'm, I'm running at a 25 percent profit margin I'm like so are you taking in whether you pay yourself or not no, no i don't take in whether i pay myself okay <laughs> at, a, at a 200 out of 140 grand salary which is probably what you may be worth oh i'm running at an eight percent profit margin well like that's actually what you're running at. like that's your actual business like yeah. this 25 is kind of fake because unless you don't rock up and work like if, if you don't work at all and you don't put in eight hours a day or in most cases, 30 hours, not 30 hours a day, it's impossible, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, 12, 12, 14, 15, 16 hours a day, which most business owners do, like we have to factor that in to get, to understand if this thing's efficient. And I, and when we start doing these negotiations and starting to understand running valuations, it's like smacks you in the face of like, no one cares if you pay yourself 40 grand a year and you're an escort. Like, it doesn't mean anything to a buyer. They're like, 
I don't care what you do to be tax effective. I want to know what I need to do to make this thing work. And it just changes the way you have to look at your business. So if there's one thing that has fundamentally, that, that reaffirmed it for me, and I would encourage everyone to think about is if you're ever measuring the performance of your business, regardless of whether you're trying to sell or not sell, you just, which we all do, you know, probably as often as we can, we run a PNL, we look at, hey, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are understanding how you're earning money. Totally. Because it's it just is such a big impact on these numbers that if you go week after week saying, oh, I'm at 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%, and you only have a $40,000 a year salary, you're going to wreck cash flow because all of a sudden when you're pulling these the amounts that you need to be pulling out, it's going to fundamentally affect cash flow. And you're just going to be frustrated because you're going to be like, it tells me 25%, but like, I don't have any money. I don't know how to go anywhere. I don't know what to do anything. And it means the story, like the vast majority of people can relate to that story. I can relate to that story. I've been there before. And it's just such a real thing. And just being be prudent of that when you're measuring your finances could help you so much. Yeah, totally. And one thing that was super helpful, and I know you don't have the a, a clear model for this quite yet on e-commerce, but when we were working together, you presented us the concept of a, of a perfect PL. And so basically on all the major expenses of our business, developing the percentages that are appropriate for our industry. For example, labor and marketing should amount to this percentage. Uh, Your overhead should be this percentage. And our target is this amount of net profitability. And just having like those benchmarks, those targets helped us make such great uh, decisions, especially in in a growth phase for our agency when we're trying to figure out where to invest our profits or we're growing our team or investing more in marketing. but I guess I, I know you don't have that full, like a perfect PL for e-commerce because it has a, a few different nuances. You know, there's there's cost of goods sold, um, maybe heavier investments on the, the front end of advertising, stuff like that to get customer acquisition up and running off the ground. So I know we don't have this. Specific- I can talk a little bit into it. I can talk a little bit into it. Yeah. So I guess at least on like the net profitability, maybe with what you've seen with the, the few clients that you have take, taken through a selling process. What are they looking for in terms of what should profitability be in, in regards to a percentage? Yeah, I mean, it also again loaded because you know you you everyone's a little bit different, and and the, the thing with e-commerce that is fundamentally different to a lot of other industries um, is the variability of cost of goods sold. You know, you could be selling a a very low margin product and selling volume, or you could be selling an exceptionally high margin product and just selling you know, lower volume, but making more money. So just that one variable alone actually makes it very hard to build something that is that is that is universally sound across an e-commerce conversation as opposed to like a specific e-commerce conversation. Yeah. But the principle we use is this, is we say, um, your cost of goods sold, your cost of goods sold. Now, there could be exercises to make that cheaper and, you know, better suppliers, better supply chain, all that kind of stuff we would assume, okay, your cost of goods sold are your cost of goods sold. Like your cost to to get your product is your cost to get your product. We would then calculate all our our operational metrics of gross profit, which is pretty normal. So, you know, you revenue coming in, cost of cost of goods sold, cost of goods, whatever you have, gives you a gross profit. And then the normal metrics that we are playing with are somewhere around 10 to about 20% on client acquisition cost. And it could be 35% in some cases, it could be 5% in some cases, but 
with kind of the ballpark figure is somewhere from like 10 to 20% of client acquisition cost. Uh, we're sitting at like normally at about 30% fulfillment costs, fulfillment being like human resources of like who's like the human beings helping yourself, people that are helping you run your marketing, people that are helping you run your store, doing logistics, doing inventory control and all that kind of stuff. And then about 20% overheads. Um, and the combination of that gets you to roughly about a 20 to 25% net profit margin on gross profit. So not on top line revenue. And that's the one that's pretty challenging is, you know, you make, let's say you make a million dollars in your store and 50% and you only have a 50% margin. So you, you're actually only making a gross profit of 500,000. And I'm saying, okay, 20% on that, which is actually only 10% on the top line revenue. And that's oftentimes you've got like only 10%, like I'm only making 10%. And that's where it's hard because the cost of goods sold is such a big factor. So we say, try not to, we try not to think too much about cost of goods sold from a metric standpoint. We try to think of what's your gross profit. So what money is like landing in your bank account after you bought and sold your product? And then based on that, we want to try and get as close to 30% as our top number always, but a really good number is anywhere between 20 and 25% of that as a net profit margin. That will give you a very, very robust valuation that is very aligned to, because you're going to take that number, that EBITDA number, and you're either going to multiply it by a multiple or you're going to do a discounted cash flow model over a period of time. They normally come, depending on the hurdle rates and stuff, they come to a pretty similar valuation normally, pretty close. Like that's the number that is going to drive your valuation. And so we want to make that number as best as we can. And so that then is working on client acquisition cost fulfillment over it. It's like how do we minimize those costs to be more efficient? So those are some of the numbers that we see very hard, to, uh, you know, in some other industries, we I can give you the number. I can just tell you it's X because it, it's there's no cost of goods sold. It's pretty st- streamlined, pretty straightforward. It's a little bit different in e-commerce space. Yeah, totally. I, re- I really love and appreciate this conversation. And I, I think though we're both entrepreneurs in our, in our own rights, I think we're very different <laughs> in the way that we assign importance to the different areas of, of business. And for me and, and Daniel, like, we were so focused on the validation indica- indicators, the survival indicators where we're like, we're going to at least get something. We're going to make a business that works. We're going to focus on sales. We're going to focus on marketing. We're going to focus on getting our clients results. And, uh, and then one day we're going to figure out how to clean up the back end and make sense of all the finances, <laughs> which probably drives a guy like you a little bit crazy too. I don't, I don't really. I mean, I actually, I actually think that it's actually not too dissimilar how we run our business. You know, we're the profitability guys. And I often say to people, you know, you never profits. Like our profit margin in the last 18 months hasn't been skyrocketing. It's actually been pretty low because we've been in the same mindset. We're trying to hire people, grow a business, invest in growth and development and all that kind of stuff. I, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and, and so so where the perfect PL fundamentally falls apart. So that this concept of the perfect PL, and I actually learned it, I, I, I learned it in two places. I, I got the brainchild of it in two places. When I was learning to play chess when I was a kid, I'll never forget learning that you, there's certain pieces, you actually want to put certain pieces, there's a place on the board where each piece is maximized its impact on the game. And, you know, you put your rook out, your, whatever it is, okay? It's actually, it's almost impossible to get to that position in a game of chess because you're obviously reacting to someone else. So the, the likelihood of you getting your pieces into that optimum position is extremely low. So that kind of never happens. But just understanding where they are best leveraged is fundamental to 
playing chess, like understanding like how to be, move your pieces and what's the purpose. So that was the one. And then I read Simple Numbers, Big Profits. No, 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 Profit First. We've got the book Profit First, which a lot of people have read. Yeah. Great book, yeah. Profit First, which is like, hey, you know, think about things in buckets. Like put X here, put Y here, put whatever it is. And so I kind of put those two thoughts together and I said, okay, well, we can build something that is aligned to the bucket system, maybe a little bit more detailed. That mm. is literally just an indicator. Yeah. It's not the rule. It's just an indicator. It's like, this is just going to guide us as we make decisions. Like every business is different. Everyone who makes different decisions, everyone wants to do it differently. Everyone's got different viewpoints, different outlooks, different goals and aspirations. That's fine. But like you said earlier, if you just have a guideline, you mm. kind of know. And I often say to people, if you go to the doctor, they don't do an MRI when you walk into the doctor's office. Right. They're like, take your pulse. They're like, and then they ask you, are you feeling? They're like, do all these preliminary things. And then they may go do an MRI. It's very similar in a business. Like, you don't have time to like deep dive in every single area of your business every single week. Like, you don't have time. You're trying to run a business. But if you just have some of these indicators that, you know, it's hitting red, it's like, hey, this guy's not very good. Maybe that's the one you focus on for the next two weeks. Like, let's go do the MRI on this guy. And then you keep doing that process. That's just helpful to not be overwhelmed by like trying to fix everything at once, just fixing them in increments. And then, and then you need some kind of guideline. You need some kind of like metric system that keeps you in check. So that's the one I would give you from a perfect KNL standpoint. I would ask everyone to hold it lightly, especially around your, your, your cost of goods sold piece, but it's just helpful. Like just take them and look at them. And if your numbers are drastically out of whack on that, that's what you should go focus on. That's okay. I'm going to go spend two weeks and I'm going to understand why is my cost so high and maybe it has to be so high. Maybe that's the base point and then everything else has got to change, which is normal, or there's an opportunity for you to improve performance. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's just, it's so crucial, maybe not necessarily to like the validation of a business. Uh, like you said, sometimes you just got to be a little bit messy. You got to get something up and running, but toward the long-term health of the business, the viability of the business, and especially if you want it to be an asset that you can one day sell, sell, that's when it becomes super, super important. And I would even say for us, uh, just having that view over our business, it was uh, pivotal in our ability to break past a certain plateau. Because at some point, you just get maxed out and you feel like your current profitability won't fund your next phase of growth. And so you need to figure out, well, what you know, really do a deep dive on, on the finances itself. So if nothing else, like I would, I would maybe guess that this conversation is like a little bit uh, almost intimidating for a few people who are focusing on just like getting the customers, building the business, building the LTV of their customers. But if nothing else, I really love it because it's an invitation to at least start thinking in that way. And like you said, maybe it's not something where you're trying to get an A plus on every single time, like if you're doing end of month reports or whatever, but it's at least giving you an awareness of where things maybe need to shift over the next three to six months. Um, it's just so, so helpful. Oh yeah. And it goes hand in hand. And I mean, whether, you, whether you're trying to sell or not is kind of irrelevant that mm -hmm. the same process applies. Like the pressure of trying to sell is just like, Oh shit, there's a date. Like I want to get this done in the States. All of a sudden there's a bunch of pressure to get it done take that off the plate like you you can't run indefinitely just by trying to serve your client like there's got to be a, a realization that this thing's going to be profitable and so just reminding yourself about that once a week once a month 
saying, okay, I'm going to focus for the next two weeks on this just one thing, you're essentially gearing yourself up to sell your business. Whether you ever sell it or not, that's irrelevant. The process itself is actually gearing you up for that. And to me, that is that is the value of that perspective of trying to sell is what it did for me and it did for us is it kind of kicked us in the back and we're like, oh, shit, like we can't just be okay with status quo. If we think about it this way, it kind of kicks something into energy like, hey, can you be, be more aware of this, maybe take more action. And that's a good thing. You know, any, any kind of pushing in a direction in a positive direction is good for him. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool, man. Well, I feel like that just gives a, a really good holistic picture of that, that whole world. Um, I, I didn't see any questions coming through. I think people probably need to ponder on it a little bit, which is totally fine. Uh, I would say Finance, bro. it's so, so boring. I trust yeah, me. Right. I know, I know this better than anyone else in the world. There's three industries that no one, no one ever wants to spend money in doctors, lawyers, and accountants. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like, it's like the grudgeness of the world. And so I don't get it. Uh, my encouragement to everyone is like, hopefully you're just thinking a little bit differently. And hopefully there's like a little bit of a thought like, hey, if I did think about it this way, what could that do for me? Like what, what maybe different decision could I make? Or what system could I put into my business that could help me potentially improve performance? Yeah, totally. And I'd say too, like if you guys do come up with a question later on, uh, drop it in the group. We'll be sure to get Adam on for round two if we need to. Uh, but dude, thank you so much for hopping on and just kind of sharing that, that process, those insights. Um, really appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, happy to happy to jam anytime. It's a it's a fun topic for me because it's what I do every day of my life. So it's uh, it's fun for me. Um, and yeah, if there's any questions from anyone, you know, I think just let us know. We'd love to help out. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. And uh, go go play some rugby or something. I've got rugby practice in an hour and a half. We play our last game tomorrow, so hopefully it's a good one. Perfect. Well, good luck on that. We'll uh, we'll catch you guys later. We're gonna close out the meeting and uh, see you in the group. Cool. Cheers, Robbie. Cheers.